Happy Sabbath, Jesus family. Once again, I want to welcome you to another installation in this series called The Rebuild. And we've been going through the book of Ezra, understanding precisely what it means to rebuild. And we've been going through this journey step by step. And God has been showing us how we can rise up from the ruins. And I, I truly believe that God has blessed you, that God has spoken to you. And I pray that whatever you have heard in this series, you may utilize it to build your life to the level it needs to be and to the level, watch this, God is calling you to live at. And today I'm bringing you the final and last installation of this series called The Rebuild. And so I would like to ask you that wherever you are, please flip your Bibles to Ezra chapter 10. And we're going to contemplate this morning on verse 1 all the way to verse number 4. Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 1. The Bible says, While Ezra prayed and made confession. You got to get deep in prayer. And Ezra was getting deep in prayer. So while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women and children, gathered to him out of Israel. For the, pip, for the people wept bitterly. And Shekinah, the son of Jehiel, the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God. I don't think he said it like that. We have broken faith with our God. And have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children. According to the counsel of the Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Verse number four, arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. For the time that I have, I want to let you know how you can rebuild a broken faith. Rebuilding a broken faith. That is what I want to translate into your spirit and into your heart this morning. So bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, Father God, I'm pleading with you to do something miraculous in our hearts, in our spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As a graduation present, my parents bought me a new laptop. It wasn't a regular laptop. It was the famed and sought for laptop. It was what everybody was talking about at this moment. Uh, they, they told me about the battery life. They told me about the longevity of the laptop. They told me that you can trust this laptop. And my parents got me this laptop. They got me a MacBook Pro. My first one. And I truly believed 
that this laptop would take me for the long haul. I considered it like a tank that I could take it through hoops and loops. I could bang it up. I could go through difficult situations and the laptop will still be standing because I had so much faith in this MacBook Pro. Because everybody told me, when you got a MacBook Pro, you are on another level. But earlier this year, my MacBook Pro couldn't turn on. Earlier this year, my MacBook Pro couldn't turn on. And for the first time, I started to see that, wait a minute, a MacBook Pro can also break. A MacBook Pro can also not work. It, it, it can, it can rusak. I started to see that a MacBook Pro is just like any regular laptop. It can break. And at the same time, my faith in a MacBook Pro broke as well. Haven't you been there that you had faith in something? You believed in someone. You considered this your final and last job, your final and last dieting program, your final and last apartment, your final and last investment, but yet it broke. You saw that it did not have that longevity. You saw that it did not have that uh, indestructibility. You saw that it was just like anything else. And that's what I saw in my laptop because I, I began to understand that faith can break. I began to see and to con consider that, wait a minute, faith can break. That faith can actually rusak. And, and that's what I want somebody to understand this morning, that it is possible for faith to break. And our passage this morning is dealing with a broken faith. And it presents to us Ezra, this man of God who is in deep, deep heartbreak. It's not a heartbreak because of a loss of an opportunity. It is not a heartbreak because he doesn't have the, the plan that he was working on. It's not a, a heartbreak because his health is failing. It's a heartbreak because he is sad that those who are supposed to believe in God, those who are supposed to be committed to God, they have a broken faith. And Ezra uh, takes this heartbreak and he turns it into a prayer break. Because sometimes when you are in a heartbreak, you are in a disappointment, you are in a devastation, you are in a tragedy, you need to take a break through prayer. You need to open up your heart through prayer. And that's what Ezra is doing in, in verse number one of chapter 10. He's praying, he's weeping, he's confessing to God. He's throwing himself uh, on the ground because he is heartbroken. The situation is that difficult. It is, it is that dire. And he takes it to the Lord in prayer. And somebody today needs to learn to take it to the Lord in prayer. You don't have the answers, but God does. You don't have the healing, but God, God does have the healing. You don't know how you're going to maneuver and operate in that difficult circumstance, 
But God knows how to do that. And when you and I take a prayer break and we approach God through prayer and we break away from our situation, I want you to understand that something miraculous does happen. Because our prayers are always heard by God. Our prayers are always heard by the Lord. And the Lord is able to do something amazing. And so listen to me. That whatever your situation is, however difficult it is, however damaging or demanding or devastating, I want you to direct it to the Lord in prayer. And listen to me. God is going to do something miraculous on your behalf. Something is going to change. Either your situation is going to change, but most definitely your perspective is going to change when you take a prayer break. And I'm glad that Ezra took a prayer break and something did change for Ezra. Something amazing happened for Ezra because we read this change. The people that he was praying for actually approached Ezra when you read the end of verse one. But then in verse number two, one of those whom Ezra was praying for, stood up and he spoke up. And this is what the text says in verse number two. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra. Ezra was addressing God about these brothers. But now the person who is addressing God for now is addressing him. A miracle right here. Because prayer does work. When you pray about it, you're going to see something happen. I'm sure Ezra did not expect these brothers to approach him but they do approach him and address him. And notice what they say. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of our lands. Because Ezra was praying for these brothers and their broken faith. When they approach Ezra, they say, we have broken faith. Ah, that's beautiful right there. When you're truly praying for it, those who are, you are praying for are going to recognize and realize the situation that you are praying about. And these brothers come to Ezra and they say, Ezra, we have broken faith with our God. What is to break faith? You see, this brother, Shekaniah, uses a term in Hebrew that simply means to violate one's duty. For example, when a police officer, whether he or she, takes a bribe, that person has violated, watch me, they have violated their duty to the city. And by violating their duty to the city, they have broken faith with the city because the city entrusted the police officer not to take any bribes. But because they have now taken bribe, bribes, they have now broken faith with the city. The city, watch me, can no longer trust the police officer to do their job. So when faith is broken, it simply means that there's been a violation of an expectation. And because of that violation of that expectation, mistrust happens. That is what it means to break faith. Allow me to take this a little bit deeper. According to Numbers 5 verse number 12, we see something related to what I'm saying. Speak to the people of Israel. If any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, her husband. If a man lies with her sexually, then she has violated her marital duties. I hope you follow what I'm saying. So to break faith is simply to violate one's duties 
to a relationship. Let me put this in a concept that may be easier to digest for you. A person breaks faith when they do what they agree not to do in a relationship. A person breaks faith when they do what they agreed not to do in a relationship. And if we had to bring this into the faith arena, we can say like this. A person breaks faith with God when the person does what they agreed not to do in their relationship with God. For example, one of the duties that God has placed on you and I is to love our enemies. So perhaps you have an enemy who takes a compromising situation and posts it on Facebook. Now you say, wait a minute, how can they do this to me? So you decide to retaliate and also post something compromising about their life also on Facebook. Now that is justified because eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you get them back for what they did to you. That is justifiable. But yet God says, love your enemies and vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. So your duty is to love your enemies and not to retaliate according to what they did to you because you know that God is going to take care of the situation. But when you retaliate, guess what you have done? You have broken faith with God because you have done what God has told you not to do, that you agreed not to do. Yes, you might have reasons to do it. You might think it's okay, but when you do it, when God has said not to do it, you break faith. And it doesn't matter how justified it may feel to you. It doesn't matter how good it may feel to you. But if God has told you not to do it and you end up doing it when you agree not to do it, you have broken faith with God. In other words, you no longer are in a position in which God can trust you, nor are you in a position in which you are trusting God to handle your situation. And that is why some of us, we will try to do things to maneuver around things because we believe that God may not be able to do it anymore. We believe that God is not powerful, powerful enough to do it anymore. Therefore, we take matters into our own hands and handle a situation. But listen to me, when we do it like that, we break faith with God. We, we break a duty to God in order for us to, to be faithful and committed to him. You see, God told uh, Samuel to tell Saul, it is better to be dutiful than to sacrifice. It is better to do what I say than for you to sacrifice. And so let me bring this a little bit deeper for us to understand what is the anatomy of a broken faith? How does that actually look like? Because yes, pastor, I've got it clearly. To break faith is to violate my duty to God. But how do I know? How do I see and understand when I'm in a situation in which I have break, broken faith with God? I'm glad you're thinking with me. I'm glad you're tracking with me. And let me bring you to the place that you're going to understand what is an anatomy of a broken faith. H how does that look like? How do I know the parts and the, 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 the things that operate to help me to see exactly what a broken faith looks like? When you consider Ezra chapter 9 verse 2, you begin to see how they broke faith with God. Notice what the text says, for they, some of the leaders, have taken some of their daughters to be wise for themselves and for their sons so that the people, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands 
And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men have been foremost. foremost. So you see right here what is happening is that the reason why they broke faith with God is because they followed the leaders. These were the priests, the Levites. These were the governors. These governors, they were first in marrying foreign wives. And so the people also followed their leaders. You have to be careful about following the right person. You see, these leaders were priests. They were Levites. They were the right people. They were the spiritual people. But these right people did a wrong thing. But because the people thought they were the right people and did not take time to investigate their actions, they followed the right people in the wrong action. You have to be careful about following the right people. Because when the right people do the wrong thing, but because you think they're the right person, you can end up doing the wrong thing. You need to know and to understand that your faith can never rest on the right people. Your rest needs to always lean on the right person, and that person is Jesus. I love this one song that says, My, my faith has found a resting place, not in device, no creed. I trust ever the living one. I trust the ever living one. His wounds for me shall plead. You see, your faith should always lean on the right person, Jesus Christ. You should never lean your faith on the right people, whether they be, they be leaders, whether they be your parents, whether they be your pastors, whether it be your study group leader. Never lean your faith on that person because somehow I have learned that it's hard for us to break, to break from those who we associate with. But we need to put it in our mind today that if we're going to have a strong faith, we need our faith never, ever, ever, ever to rest on the right people. But it should always rest on the right person. And that person is none other than Jesus Christ. I want to take this a little bit deeper, this anatomy I'm giving to you. Because what is interesting is that these leaders were leading the nation correctly. In fact, they led the nation to rebuild. They laid the foundation and they built up this structure. And it amazes me. When you look at chapter 4 and verse number 3, how these leaders were doing it so right. Because when the peoples of the lands wanted to help in rebuilding this temple, these leaders said no. In fact, let me quote their words for you in Ezra chapter 4 verse number 3. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the priest, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, the peoples of the lands, the peoples of the lands, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, king of Persia, has commanded us. So something has happened here. You see, these right people were able to tell the wrong people not to build with them. They, were, they, they, they refused for them to get involved in the rebuilding of the temple. They didn't want them to touch their spirituality, quote unquote. But these same leaders, 
ended up marrying the daughters of the peoples of their lands, which tells me that they had compartmentalized their faith. That in some areas, God was the leader. But in some other areas, God was not the leader. They were leading themselves. I like going to zoos. You know why? Because in zoos, you have exhibits. At these exhibits, you have lions. At another exhibit, you have tigers. At another exhibit, you have elephants. And then you have other kind of animals. Right? And as you're going through a zoo, you go to different exhibits. And no one animal can be in all of the exhibits. They have to be in their specified exhibits. Could it be that we put God also in certain exhibits and that he cannot be seen in other exhibits because these leaders put God in the exhibit of the temple, but they didn't put God in the exhibit of their marital life. Or their relationship life. Therefore, they could be strong in one area, but they could break faith with God in another area. We need to be careful that God is not in the exhibit of our home, but he's not in the exhibit of our work life. God in the exhibit of our work life, but he's not in the exhibit of our home life. God is the exhibit of our finances, but God is not in the exhibit of our entertainment. We should not compartmentalize God. God needs to be in everything and in everywhere. And the moment you start to compartmentalize compartmentalize God and put him in a specific exhibit, that is when you are surely leading yourself in a broken faith experience because God needs to be able to lead your life. God needs to be able to be a part of everything in your life. If you're putting God only in one specific situation, I'm here to let you know that you are in a situation of a broken faith. And too many of us, we don't allow God to sip through everything in our lives. We don't allow God to be the one leading us in everything in our lives. We take God only in specific occasions. We take God only in specific places. But today I'm here to let you know, make God be a part of everything in your life. Make God to be the center of everything. Consider God like a wheel on a bicycle, that he should be the center of the spoke and everything in your life should center and go to him and that nothing moves, nothing goes and rotates in your life without God being the center of it. But if you compartmentalize God, I want to let you know that you're going to struggle and be in a situation that you will experience broken faith. You'll experience a broken faith. But the question is, Pastor, broken faith, I get it. It makes sense. I understand it now. But, but how do I actually rebuild a broken faith? Boy, oh boy, am I glad that you asked me? Because I'm here to let you know how you can rebuild a broken faith. You see, first, addressed. The broken faith. You see, Shechaniah, again, I want to borrow his words in Ezra chapter 10, verse number 2. He spoke up and he says, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign wives. In other words, he owned it. He said, ah, yeah, yeah, we messed up. We have done it. So they confessed about it. They addressed it. They didn't avoid it. They addressed it head on. Yes, Ezra. We have broken faith with God. And you see, if you're going to fix a broken faith, you need to address it head on. You see, some of us, we pray universal 
global prayers. These are the kind of prayers we pray. Lord, forgive me for my sins today. Lord, forgive me for the sins of last year. That is a global prayer. That is a universal prayer. And that's not the kind of prayer that addresses a broken faith. The kind of prayer that addresses a broken faith is the kind of prayer that says like this, Lord, I cheated. Lord, I plagiarized. Lord, yes, I lied. Yes, Lord, I am the one who is at fault for not being on time. That's what a, a addressing a broken faith should look like. You need to attack it right on. You need to speak on it right on. You need to approach it right on. Do not dilly-dally. Do not procrastinate with God. Do not do that because the moment you do that, you'll not be able to, to, to rebuild that broken faith. So the first place you need to do, I mean, the first place you need to be at is to address the broken faith. Now, now I want you to notice how these brothers or who these brothers address. They addressed Ezra. Ezra is a priest. He's a spiritual leader. I'm bringing something to you. The reason why they address Ezra is because the sin of marrying foreign wives was a public sin. Everybody knew about it. So what they did is they addressed it in a public manner. And that's what some of us need to learn. If your broken faith, whatever has caused you to break faith, is public, please, by all means, address it publicly. The manner in which it happened is the manner in which you need to address it in. If it happened privately, by all means, go to God privately and talk to him privately about it. But if it happened publicly, you need to be able to own up, man up, woman up and address it publicly, however public the situation was. And I'm glad once again that these brothers addressed a priest. And I want you to let you know something that Ezra is a type of Jesus, because according to Hebrews, that we have a high priest in the heavenly places. His name is Jesus. And he is always interceding on our behalf and always talking to God on our behalf. And you today can also address your broken faith to Jesus Christ, your high priest. You can go to him today. You can talk to him today and he will intercede on your behalf. He will talk to you, to your needs and stand in for your situation if you're willing to address him today. But if you want to rebuild your broken faith, you must address it and address it in the way in which it happened. But once you have addressed broken faith, in your quest to rebuild that broken faith, you need to acknowledge the hope of the hope that you have in spite of the broken faith. In other words, you need to acknowledge that your situation is not over. And again, I want to borrow the words of Shekaniah in verse number two, but I want to read the last part of the verse because he says we have broken faith with our God. But then this is what he says. 
But even now, but even now, listen to me, brother and sister, listen to this. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. I'm not sure how Shekaniah concluded, but I'm glad he concluded in this way. In spite of this, there is hope for Israel. Even though we have broken faith, there is hope for Israel. You see, this is an epithet. When he says there is hope for Israel, this is an epithet for, for Yahweh. An epithet is a nickname. It's another name for somebody. So when he says there is hope for Israel, he's actually talking about God. He's saying in spite of this, there is hope for us because God exists. In spite of this, there is hope because Yahweh is still on the throne. Because of this, there is hope because God is still in charge. And somebody today needs to say, in spite of this adultery, there is hope for me. Somebody today needs to say, in spite of this fornication, there is hope for me. In spite of this unforgiveness, there is hope for me. In spite of this drunkenness, there is hope for me. In spite of this hatred, there is hope for me. In spite of this anger, there is hope for me. In spite of my trouble and my struggle and my situation, there is hope for me. Somebody today needs to say the very same thing about your situation. And I'm not telling you some high talk, some self-help talk, some talk just to make you feel better. But this is the truth of the matter. That no matter how you find yourself in, no matter the situation that is killing you, no matter the situation that is breaking you down, there is hope for you because God is still on the throne. Believe me, brother and sister. It has not become so bad that a good God cannot change your bad situation. You have not been so lost that God cannot find you. You are not so depressed that God cannot suppress your depression and lift you up. There is hope for you today. There is hope for you today. Again, there is hope for you today because with God. There is the blessed hope because with God, hope in him does not bring about shame because God never, ever lets us down. God always finds a way to bring us back. I, I, I don't know again what made Shekaniah to say these words, but Shekaniah, watch this. I believe he got hope because he was looking at the temple. He got hope because he was at the temple and the temple told him and communicated to him, hey, God's presence is still here with us. You and I don't have a temple to look to. You and I are not looking at it as we're praying on our behalf. So where is hope for us? You know, there is something that we do when we buy a pulsa. We give money to the pulsa company and the pulsa company gives us pulsa. And as long as we are paid for the pulsa, we always have the pulsa. And everywhere we go, we believe that we have the pulsa. You see, my brother and my sister, God can be treated like pulsa. As long as you buy the pulsa in prayer, 
in study and in belief, he is going to be with you everywhere you go. And as long as God is with you, as long as he's tracking with you, you have hope no matter the situation, no matter where you are. So there is hope for you today. And so if you're going to rebuild your broken faith, you need to believe that there is hope for me. But now, once you have addressed the broken faith, once you have acknowledged the hope in spite of your broken faith, you need to act on the pledge to fix your broken faith. You need to act on the pledge to fix your broken faith. And we find this principle in verse number three. Notice what the text says. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Notice what the text says. They address the broken faith. They acknowledge the hope in spite of their broken faith. And now they made a pledge to fix their broken faith. And notice how, how they made that pledge. They said, we are going to make a covenant. In other words, we're going to make a pact. We're going to make a covenant. We're going to cut a covenant. In fact, that is the language in the Hebrew. It is to cut a covenant. And basically what that meant was there was to be some kind of sacrifice. Meaning that if the covenant is broken, somebody's going to pay for this. So they say we're going to make a covenant. And notice what the covenant was. We are going to put away. We're going to put away these wives and their children. Now, to put away is Old Testament language for divorce. This is a buzzword for divorce. So they're saying... We're going to fix our broken faith by divorcing. Now, now some of you might be like, wow, that's, 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 that's strange. I mean, the Bible teaches us not to divorce. The Bible even says God hates divorce. But right here we have brothers who are using divorce as a means to fix their broken faith. And Ezra agrees to it. I get it that they really want to fix their broken faith, as I was thinking about this. But divorce as the means to fix their broken faith? Now, just before you get excited and say, oh, wow, well, I can use divorce also if I'm in a bad situation. No, 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 no. The Bible is very clear. And we've been given direction. Those who are married to unbelievers should stay married because by being married, they can help the unbelieving spouse. So I'm not saying, and I'm not allowing nobody here to use this, this sermon as saying we can use divorce. But the point I want to draw at is that this was necessary at this particular context and in situation. Because when you study carefully, you discover that all of the leaders, the priests, the Levites, the key people had married these foreign wives. These were the people that were in charge of keeping the faith. By, by bringing these wives into their homes, they were in danger of destroying the faith that there was, there was a possibility that there would be no more an Israel. And therefore, in this extreme situation, there was need to divorce these wives because it was that bad. 
And, and the point is this, we will not use divorce today to do like they did, but the point is this, we should be willing to do what's uncomfortable in order for us to build our faith, to rebuild our broken faith. We should be willing to do whatever it takes to, in order for us to ensure that our faith with God is intact. Because what is at stake with your faith is not just a set of beliefs. It's not just a set of uh, prepositional truths. It's not just me being a particular uh, member of a particular church. It's your identity as a believer in God. And what matters most and what's at stake is our identity with God. And that we should protect it no matter the cost. We should protect it no matter the situation. But we should be willing to do whatever it takes to get away from the situation. And some of us might need to do difficult things in order for us to restore our faith. We might need to un unsubscribe from those apps in order for us to restore our faith. We might need to stop going to certain places. We might need to stop talking to certain people. We might need to stop watching certain movies. Stop watch, listening to certain music. We might need to do something so drastic, something so painful, something so heart-wrenching, but heart-mending. Because restoring your faith and rebuilding your faith is that important. I'm reminded of a fisherman. He made a pledge to God. He says, Lord, if you help me catch a fish, if you help me catch fish, to be able to feed my family, I will give you the first fish that you give me. So he cast his hook into the river and he hooked something. And boy, oh boy, he could recognize that this was a big fish. It was a big kahuna. It was that big one there. Yeah, this one he realized it is going to take care of my family. This one he realized is going to take me over the top. So he said, he thought to himself, Lord, let me take this one first. And the next one I'm going, to, I'm going to give to you. Guess what? The story says that this big fish that he had hooked and hooked itself and he lost it. Could it be that some of us are like this fisherman? That we make pledges to God. But now when we are in the situation, we have a second thought. Lord, just this one time. After this one time, I'm not going to do it anymore. After this one time, I'm not going to watch the porno anymore. Lord, today I, I admit it's the last one. Lord, today this is my last bottle. Lord, today this is my last slipping around. Lord, to, Lord today this is the last time I'm not going to give you back your 10%. Lord, today after this, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to do right. When we have made pledges to God, say, Lord, I'm not going to do it anymore. But yet when we are faced with the situation, we start to double think. We start to re-strategize re, re and to say, you know what, Lord, this time may not be the right time. I'm going to do it another time. But listen to me. When you have made a pledge to God and you say, Lord, I'm going to go in this direction to build up my faith. You need to stick to that pledge because when you give in, you are not sure that the next time you're not going to give in. But when you stand up and become faith, faithful and firm in your faith, then you're actually able to rise up and to build up. Some of us simply need to make up our minds and say, you know what? I've stopped. It's over. I'm going to do it now and make that decision 
and let that encourage you and propel you forward. You see, I'm amazed. I'm amazed by what Shekaniah told Ezra in verse number four. And I want to land this plane on verse number four. And look at the words of, of, of Shekaniah to Ezra. He says, Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. But I want to let you know that today I want you to arise and start to rebuild. Make a decision. Stand up. Get up. Stop sitting in it. Arise, for it is your task to rebuild your faith. It is your task to lay a foundation. It is your task to rebuild the, 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 the ruin. It's you who will only be able to do that. Because God is with you. God is with you. He's going to guide you. You're not going to be alone when you choose to do the task of rebuilding your faith and laying down that foundation and to be back in commitment and connection to God. He is with you, but... You need to be strong. You need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to make the tough choices. And this courage is not a courage from your own strength, but it is a courage that God is going to give you and strengthen you. And do it. Do it today. Rebuild your faith today. How long are you going to wait for you to still be in that broken situation? How long are you going to be in a situation where you are violating your duty to God. How long are you going to be crying over what's ruined? Today I want you to arise. For it is your task. God is with you. Be strong and do it. Today let's rebuild. As I'm bringing this series to a close. I'm simply telling you arise. For it is your task. God is with you. Be strong and do it. Arise, for it is your task. God is with you. Be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. Rebuild, restore, restructure, refurbish, whatever you need to do today. Arise, for it is your task. God is with you. Be strong and do it. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. And help us to be strong for you and for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Did that speak to you? Did it touch you in a place that it needed to touch you? You see, that's what God's word is able to do. It is able to minister to our needs. And I'm, I'm sure somebody listening to me today has been touched and you've been inspired. And you want to dive a little bit deeper in the word. You want to get to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I want you to know that Facts of Life Ministry exists to help you to be able to do that. And you can reach out to us on the number on the screen and we'd be more than happy and glad to reach out to you and to your needs. And we are grateful that God has touched you and that God wants to elevate you to another sphere and to another experience. Perhaps God is also talking to you to participate through your finances. We are happy uh, to be able to facilitate that. And, and once again, there is an account on the screen and you can simply donate at that account. I will be more than glad 
to partner with you because the work of the gospel needs more hands. And some of us may not be able to do everything, but there's something we always can do for the Lord. So may God bless you. And I'm going to see you very soon. Take care.